Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Tobias Carlyle. This is the Acquirers Podcast. My special guest today is Jim Carroll. He's the Vixologist or Vixologist on Twitter. He's Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Toroso. We're going to talk all things Vix what's happening in the market, what's going to happen in the market, where Jim sees uh, the VIX and the market right after this. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquires Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquires Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquires Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. <laughs> It's great to chat to you, Jim. Um, I, I, I particularly love chatting to vol guys because I think that volatility and value go hand in hand because when the volatility guys are having a party, the value guys uh, should be hard at work because the value guys party starts the next day. So can you, let's, let's start with who you are and, uh, and then we'll, we'll go on from there. So who are you? Sure. Uh, Jim Carroll. Currently a uh, senior vice president and portfolio manager at Toroso Investments. Uh, just a thumbnail sketch of Toroso. Uh, it's a relatively new registered investment advisor started six, seven, eight years ago uh, by a guy named Mike Venuto. And um, three legs to our stool. It's good. We have three legs, so the stool doesn't tip over. We have a more or less traditional wealth advisory business, uh, high net worth individuals uh, primarily, uh, but also work with uh, quite a few retirement plans, uh, advisors in different parts of the country. Um, Venuto runs an investment management business that both is a series of separately managed accounts uh, we also recently brought on Michael Guyad, a name that people will know, um, and his ATAC mutual fund, and recently launched a an ETF around one of his strategies. The lead that lag the, report, right? The lead lag report, yes, and and his row row, risk on <laughs> risk off, a great ticker. Um, that business also supports an OCIO platform. Uh, we work with a lot of external advisors on portfolio management. Uh, we have uh, the ETF think tank uh, steered by a guy named Dan Weisskopf. Um, the ETF professor. The ETF professor, indeed. Uh, and a, an increasingly popular series of Zoom sessions uh, around uh, different topics. And then we have a business that really is a consulting arm around exchange traded funds um, where we help people 
uh, conceive, launch, market, exchange traded funds. Uh, recent examples would be our own RORO. Uh, we also helped a group out in California launch RPAR, a risk parity ETF last year. Uh, that's become a very big business for us. And overall, uh, it's been it's been a great ride the last couple of years. Actually, our AUM, AUA, uh, more than doubled in 2020. We're over four billion now. So, congrats! Um, very, uh, very rapid rise for the firm. So you're you're a volatility guy, um, and you are the Vixologist or Vixologist <laughs> on Twitter, which is a great handle, by the way. How do you come to be a vol guy? Well, that's a great question because uh, I didn't start out as a vol guy. Um, actually started on Wall Street in the investment banking business, uh, corporate finance guy back in the 80s and uh, 90s, uh, became the uh, CFO of a little internet company that went public in March of 2000 oh, through Morgan Stanley. <laughs> squeaked that one out the window and it just kind of went thud. Uh, the good news is we didn't get sued by anybody. The bad news is uh, it meant that there was going to be another chapter in my life. And uh, I was actually a value investor back in those days with my own portfolio. You will recall that uh, value worked like a charm in the aughts. You know, when yeah. the internet was melting down, there were actually sectors of the economy that were uh, chugging along nicely, uh, real estate, some of the commodity areas. And uh, for my own portfolio, I had discovered um, a, a handful of managers that I was basically building a portfolio around, uh, people like Bill Nigren at Oakmark, right. uh, Mason Hawkins at Longleaf Partners. Some great names uh, there. Jean-Marie Aveillard oh, yeah. at First Eagle, uh, the, the folks out of Dodge and Cox. Um, and so, uh, really I was building, you know, my own portfolio and for family around a group of value managers who successfully navigated, um, uh, the, the internet crash. And during that time, after my, uh, my own little internet company was clearly not going to be the, the end game, uh, I had some friends uh, who were experiencing that meltdown asked me, Jim, what should I do with my money? I, I, I got it, you know, I'm getting killed. Um, and there, there was enough critical mass there that I decided to start my own registered investment advisor, which originally, originally was long run capital in 2003. And, um, you know, continued doing what I had been doing. Um, the global financial crisis comes along and suddenly I'm, I recognize that not only am I allocating assets to managers, I'm allocating risk management. Um, and as you know, Toby, uh, a value manager loves nothing more than for a stock to be cheaper tomorrow than it is today. <laughs> so so uh, the, 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 the portfolios were suffering along with everything else, uh, in part because the other difference in the GFC was that everything was correlating. You know, there were, there were very few safe havens. In the back half of 2008, uh, you could buy long-term treasuries and that worked. Uh, the dollar caught a bid, but other than that, it, it sort of didn't matter what sector 
or or market cap strata you were invested in, it was going down. Um, so I, I had to think hard about um, how I was going to manage risk um, and decided to undertake a research project to look at what was going on in the world that I just hadn't experienced. Uh, uh, you know, looked at, uh, you know, I, I was a, uh, a value guy, you know, so there's growth. Uh, what, what are all these sort of quantitative people doing? Uh, and, you know, we didn't really have factors. Nobody was really talking about factors in 2008, 2009. Um, but if you did some digging into the body of research, you know, there were some people talking about things like momentum. Uh, uh, Tom Dorsey at Dorsey Wright always called it relative strength. And uh, so I, I sort of uh, manufactured my own uh, momentum strategies in the fashion that now is sort of best documented by Gary Antonacci with call, calling a dual momentum. Right. Uh, the, the idea that you are investing in the best performing, whatever you want, stocks, sectors, asset classes, uh, with a hurdle so that if you know, they're not jumping the hurdle, you're going to move to cash. And so I look across asset classes, uh, use different measures of momentum with a cash hurdle um, and create what I call an absolute return portfolio. Um, you know, very responsive to changes in markets, horribly tax inefficient. Uh, so, so I did actually come up with a, a methodology that moves a little more slowly, uh, but is tax efficient and does tend to still ride the winners, you know, and that is based on the Dorsey Wright relative uh, strength methodology. Um, it was 2015, <laughs> this, this sounds so silly these days, you know, all the way back in 2015, when, you know, the Schiller PE was already starting to look rich uh, bond yields had been plummeting for decades. Um, you know, Bogle and Arnott and everybody were saying, gee, you know, looking out 10 years, we're not sure where the returns are going to come from. And I tripped over this stuff going on in volatility with the VIX and betting on the VIX. And Wall Street had invented these great new things like VXX, you could be long VIX. XIV, you could be short VIX. Uh, you know, okay, let's do another deep dive. Uh, who cares about weekends and nights? Let's start reading research on volatility and term structure and contango and backwardation. Uh, and, you know, the internet's a great resource. And there were people out there saying, okay, you know, here's how these things are constructed. Here's how you might use them. Here's some systematic approaches. Uh, and so did a deep dive into that and came up with an approach to use these things to express either a short uh, opinion or a long opinion. Uh, most of the time you wanna be short volatility. That's why, you know, and I would say to people, what do you have in your portfolio? Oh, I got, you know, S&P 500. I got these stocks, da, 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 da. So uh, how would you 
say that expresses a view on volatility. But, well, it doesn't. You know, I just own a bunch of stuff. I said, yeah, you're short volatility. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, if, if the stuff hits the fan and your stuff goes down, uh, it, it, it gets pretty exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, that's because you're short volatility. Uh, well, what, what do you do about that? And, and, and oh, by the way, we still haven't really figured out what you do about that. Uh, the industry is still, you know, trying to figure out how to put the pieces together to uh, offer, you know, a, a, a hedge product, a long volatility product, a long short volatility product. Um, and, and so I'm in the mix as the vexologist trying to create that cocktail. So how do you view, uh, so what's your approach to volatility? You're not necessarily, so I have a friend who we both know, Chris Cole, who's, um, Chris is more of a, he would, I think he would characterize himself probably mostly as a long volatility guy, but then he's trying to arbitrage the term structure. So when he sees some things that are out of shape, he'll put trades on with the objective of reducing the cost of being long the volatility, but what he's ultimately trying to do is sort of hedge a portfolio that you would characterize as being short volatility. So that's anybody right. who's long a risk asset, like a value investor or anybody who's long equities is really short volatility. Right. So wh what's your approach to, to volatility? Well, um, it's funny. Somebody recently asked me, you know, uh, or, or remarked that, you know, gee, you started your own registered investment advisor in 2003. Man, that that took a lot of guts. And, and my response was, I didn't know any better, so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I looked at the volatility space, um, what intrigued me was the idea that um, you could play both sides of it. You, you don't have to be dogmatic, either short or long. Um, short volatility through VIX futures, through, you know, volatility instruments, you know, could be viewed as an equity substitute. Um, you know, it's, it's a, um, depending on how you're doing it, you know, it, it, it may give you a 2x or a 3x of the beta of the S&P 500, you know, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and certainly the sex appeal is uh, figuring out how to use a long volatility exposure to hedge your core portfolio. Um, and, and I think that's where people have tended to focus. Um, my view was, gee, I, I think I want to try, and it's really hard, to uh, structure something that can play both sides. Uh, I don't wanna be dogmatic one direction or the other. Um, I, I, I honestly believe that it's possible to, you know, where, where Chris and others who are, are trying to offer a long volatility product uh, that fits into somebody's portfolio, you know, checks the box that somebody has created um, managing that bleed is critical. Um, I kind of look at it the other way and say, um, under sort of normal market circumstances, 
that VIX term structure is rolling down. And if you're short those VIX futures, you're just collecting premium, recognizing that you can get kicked in the face on any given day. Uh, but gee, if I can do that and figure out some way to avoid the real hard drawdowns or, in, or, or you know, ideally flip from short to long, um, then you've really got something. It's the holy grail. I'm not there yet, but, you know, that's the objective. So you're sort of, you're agnostic and you think about it like, uh, you, you can think about it like an equity substitute. So for people who aren't in volatility all the time, it, it, it can be a little bit confusing, but you're basically just the reverse of the market. So when the when you're long volatility, you're essentially short the market. When you're short volatility, you basically long the market. And the reason that the vol guys who are uh, long vol guys like Chris are attracted to it is because it tends to be have this explosive move. If uh, if the market goes down, volatility spikes very, very materially. And that's why Taleb wrote the book and he describes that he characterizes someone who is short volatility, the, the return pattern that they see is quite consistently, quite consistent regular returns until the day that they're like the turkey on Thanksgiving who, who gets their head chopped off. So how do you how do you manage that kind of risk? What signals are you looking for? So um, I look at uh, different measures of the term structure. Uh, if if you think about it, you know if you if you think about what the term structure looked like in March. What's the term uh, structure for just let's let's we should just so so you have yes certainly so you have VIX futures contracts um, that go out I think we now go out nine or ten months um, so right now the front month VIX futures contract which is going to expire next week is the January future so then you have a February March April May on out. Um, in normal circumstances, if you think about VIX futures as a form of insurance, um, you would expect the longer that insurance covers, the more you're going to pay for it. Right. So the out month VIX futures contracts typically are going to be more expensive than the near month VIX futures contracts. And there's typically a premium between spot VIX and the VIX futures. So you can't actually trade VIX. You, that's just a, that's a calculation based Correct. on some options. The only things that you can trade are the futures or options on the futures or one of these products that has those things embedded in it, like the, the ETFs that hold them. That's correct. You know, and, and um, you know, any option contract. So you, you could also be trading SPX options as a play on volatility. Uh, you could be expressing a view that you think the options are too cheap. Uh, you think that uh, uh, they don't express enough volatility and you could buy them. You could say that they're expressing too much volatility and you could sell them. So there are a bunch of different ways uh, that you can express a view on volatility. But, you know, the typical, the, 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 where, where I'm focusing my attention is the VIX futures term structure. 80% uh, of the time that is in contango, it, it uh, rises in price over time. Uh, you get into 
situations like the end of 2008 or where we were in March of last year, hard to call it last year already, but March of 2020, uh, and the front end, people freak out. Um, everybody wants to buy insurance, you know, after the hurricane hit. <laughs> I need that insurance front now. <laughs> <laughs> the house is on fire. Can I please get some insurance? You're going to pay for it. And so the front months uh, spike higher. Uh, the back months will tend to rise as well. But uh, instead of the curve being lower left to upper right, it will go from upper right to lower left. Um, and, you know, if you can get in the way of a move like that, you know, in, in uh, February and March, we went from a VIX of below 20 to a record close over 80 in 19 days, unprecedented. Um, we also recovered faster than anybody anticipated. Now, if you go back to 2008, uh, we didn't see VIX go back below 30 until the middle of 2009. I think it was 141 trading days. It was some crazy number. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the VIX futures are, are the, the, the tool set uh, available for people to use uh, as sort of the most direct way to express a view on volatility. Have you seen any changes to the behavior of VIX or the term structure uh, over the period of time that you've been following it? Well, mm. well one of the, I, was, I, I raised it because that's one of the things that I've heard Chris talk about quite re regularly where he says that the spikes are more regularly sold that the, 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 the volatility seems to drain away faster and faster all the time. So you, mm. you, you give that 2008 example where it was elevated for a very long time. And then it seemed to be very sensitive to even 2012, as far out as that, it was still popping. Anytime there was any, um, any kind of uh, market event, it, it was quite sensitive to it. And then it went through this very long period of time of being crushed quite low and i think even until sort of last uh late 2019 it was still very very low and people were wondering whether it would ever you know will this ever get back to like a 20 because it was trading in the low like 10 11 12 kind of number well you know the so um there's the old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. And, and I think the Wall Street equivalent is, you know, there's no good idea that doesn't get uh, overused. Um, and, and one of the things that clearly has changed over time is that the volatility ecosystem has expanded and expanded in terms of, of use cases, instruments, um, and, and larger players using it to express, you know, a view or using it to hedge a portfolio or using it to augment returns. Uh, and, and clearly one of the things that uh, uh, Chris saw and, and documented was sort of the institutional evolution in the use of volatility uh, as a way to not only hedge, but, but to uh, scrape some uh, so-called risk premium out of the market. Um, we're we're going to sell volatility premium 
most of the time, we're going to just be able to collect it and move on and do it again and do it again and do it again. And, and as you suggested, that's all well and good until, um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the Roadrunner cartoons, you know, where the, the coyote finds himself off the edge of the cliff <laughs> and then it's straight down. Uh, and, you know, if we go back to February 2018 as an example, what we call Volmageddon or the Volpocalypse, uh, where, you know, it, it seemingly all of the sudden, uh, VIX doubled and people were crushed. And one of my favorite exchange traded products disappeared, um, XIV. And, Off to the close. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will never forget watching it in real time and, and chatting with, uh, with colleagues about what was going on uh, and then hearing some stories in the aftermath about people who were buying it after the close. <laughs> well, I saw, it, I saw people buying it on Twitter after the, people were talking about buying yeah. it on Twitter because it was down 94% or something after the close and then yeah. not knowing that it was going to be ultimately a zero. Yeah. So... Um, but, but, you know, so, so I think there have been a number of changes over the years. Uh, you know, it's, it has matured. The, the VIX uh, futures have matured as a product. Options on the futures have matured as a product. Um, these instruments have generated uh, demand and volume uh, for the underlying over time. Uh, institutions have gotten involved. Um, for better or for worse. Uh, th there's, a, there's a debate ongoing right now about, you know, sort of are they all back in the game after March? Uh, clearly, there were some hedge fund blowups um, in, in the vol space, people who were doing things that they probably shouldn't have been doing, uh, including some, you know, significant pension funds. Um, but you know that's the nature of the beast. Uh, if if you can get away with it and make a bunch of money, um, and you think you have the risk cordoned off, somebody's going to do it, uh, and somebody may be doing it even if they don't necessarily have the risk cordoned off. Um, and and we see that from time to time. It's the nature of the beast. Well, Taleb talks about it right, where he says that it's one of those trades that you can you can be short volatility for years and years and years and get paid to be short volatility. And then the year where you blow up, you say, oh, well, that was the unforeseen, unforeseeable once in 1000 year storm that rolls around every seven years or so. And, and you know, so I've gone back uh, to the best of my ability and looked at, you know, different little events that have taken place since all of this stuff started. And, um, you know, the, the only one that really was terminal uh, on its face was February of 2018. Um, and there's some evidence to suggest that um, the, the analogy I use is that XIV was standing in the window, you know, looking down and somebody pushed <laughs> because there are certainly a lot of smart people out there who understand the specific mechanics of the rebalancing of these things on a daily basis and knew exactly right. what the guys 
managing XIV we're going to need to do. Um, and it, you know, maybe they helped. Um, yeah, is that right? But, you know, I, so, so the only thing I can say about that is, um, my in, in my analysis, my experience suggests that most of the time, maybe not, you know, you never say never, never say ever, but um, most of the time, if you're paying attention to the behavior of the term structure, to the behavior of, um, you know, different measures of volatility, you, you can get some hints. Uh, there are a few little footprints um, in January of 2018, um, I think it was January 16th to be precise. You know, there was a, there was just a little hiccup. Um, not necessarily enough for people to be paying attention. Uh, certainly, if you had spent all of 2017 short volatility, you wanted that ride to just continue uh, because. Lots of people cashed a lot of money in 2017, myself included. Uh, but, you know, this little, little, you know, it's, it's like I, I lived in Hawaii for four years and we were always paying attention to the volcanoes. Um, and, you know, before they erupt, if you're paying attention, <laughs> they're giving you some signals. <laughs> there's some steam rising. <laughs> you know, there's some stuff moving around. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you're standing on the edge of the crater when the full eruption happens, you're stupid. You, know, you probably deserve what you get. Um, and, you know, I can make an argument that people who were still short volatility on February 5th, 2018 just weren't paying attention. Uh, because there were some things happening that, you know, were inconsistent with short vol being safe. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems to me that it's, there was a, there was a similar event and I remember the manager, but I can't remember the name of the, uh, the product and I don't want to mention the, the manager, but there was a, there was a very popular retail product. Uh, I think it was an ETF in about 2011, late 2011, early 2012, it started getting, it was getting so much flows that in order for, and I think the market might've been a little bit thinner at that point. And they were basically, they were pushing the, the, the market was getting out of shape that they were, they were, their trading was impacting uh, the underlying instruments. And there are a lot of guys out there. And I, the reason I know about it is because Chris was trading at the other side of it at the time. And apparently it was a reasonably well-known, reasonably popular trade. And eventually that product had to be wound up just because it got too big. So is that something that happens in this market? Or is it, is it because it's a thinly traded market? Is that something that doesn't happen anymore? Or is it just one of those things that gets popular? Everybody gets to one side of the boat, same thing that happens in every single market. I think that, um, that that clearly can happen. Uh, it happened with XIV. Uh, XIV uh, assets ballooned to over $2 billion, you know, by February of 2018. You know, you had the, the, the this sort of stereotypical cab driver. Hey, have you heard of this stock? <laughs> XIV, it just goes up. <laughs> had no idea what it was, thought it was a stock, thought it was a company. Um, 
And so clearly that was one where everybody was on, you know, that side of the boat. Um, another example from 2020, March of 2020, was the other side, TVIX. Uh, Credit Suisse sponsored product, which was 2X long volatility, right? So if you bought TVIX in the middle of February um, and, and held on to it, you made a boatload of money. Um, but by the middle of March, the AUM for TVIX, I'm not gonna get the number right, was eight or $9 billion, okay? Um, that was exposure that Credit Suisse had because um, it was a, an exchange traded note. And, you know, somebody at Credit Suisse said, um, you know, if this starts going the other direction, <laughs> this could blow a hole in our ship and we could go under. So they announced that they were going to delist. They didn't actually redeem, which is one option they had, but Credit Suisse decided to delist TVIX. It does, it is still out there. It does still trade TVIX F, um, but it's over the counter uh, pink sheet kind of thing now. But that was another example where uh, a combination of inflows and price appreciation ballooned this thing up to a size where the manager just said, we've got exposure that we never imagined here. And, and this is not what we signed up for. Uh, so, you know, that, that can happen. The other aftermath of February, 2018 was the two of the popular products, UVIXI, which had been a 2X and SVIXI, which had been a minus 1X like XIV, uh, both had their leverage taken down. So SVIXI was, became a 0.5 inverse and UVIXI became a 1.5 long instead of a two long. So, you know, there is some risk to the sponsors of these products um, in terms of, of managing their exposure. Um, but, you know, they're, they're popular. Um, when SVIXI was neutered, we immediately saw increased activity in VXX, which is the 1X long, the most popular. Uh, a lot of that activity was people using the short side of VXX to express a short ball uh, position. They were, short, they were shorting the ETF rather They were than, shorting right. the long ETF right. to get the full minus one exposure. Got it. Instead of going long. A short the, ETF. The, right. Exactly. So. Uh, again, people are 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 very ingenious. Uh, <laughs> a lot of smart people out there who can do the math and and figure out you know how to get the exposure they want. Uh, quite a few hedge funds do play with these things. Uh, you know, the more sophisticated investors will say, "Well, that that's crazy. You're paying a management fee to get exposure for VIX futures. Why don't you just go you know get the VIX futures directly?" Well, because I don't want to roll the VIX futures every day. I don't want to manage the, the duration of that exposure the, actively the way one might want to. Um, so I, I prefer to get the exposure and let 
you know, a, a trading desk manage that exposure for me. I know what I'm getting. I'm willing to pay the expense ratio uh, because I think on a net basis, you know, it's, it's going to do X or Y and, and that fits my objectives. Last year was a, an interesting year in volatility, uh, which is not always true. Not every year is an interesting year in volatility, but last year was particularly interesting because we had the gigantic crash at the start of the year, which was the most rapid crash since, or more rapid than 1929. Volatility had that unprecedented spike. And then it was uh, a lumpy um, term structure because of the election. There was a lot of, early in the year, there was a lot of fear around the election so people were long volatility so can you well walk us through what happened last year and why was the, what was unusual about it <laughs> beyond well, that <laughs> well yeah as as you said you know it's it what was interesting was you know we started off the year you know fairly benign uh equities you know churning higher volatility relatively low uh down in the teens uh, uh you know people essentially uh, not appreciating the potential of this COVID thing uh, until the very end of February. Um, and, and then it was just, you know, like somebody opened the trap door and the whole market fell through. Um, and, you know, I, I, the market with VIX in the teens was clearly you know, not pricing in the, what, what happened. I mean, who would? Uh, it, it really kind of did, it, it was one of those tsunami kind of events uh, where you wake up one morning <laughs> and, and maybe you turn on the TV or, uh, you know, somebody sends you a text. Do you know that there's a hundred foot wave <laughs> headed toward your beach, Toby. <laughs> uh, you might want to get out of the way. Well, you know, how quickly can you get out of the way? Um, and clearly this was a circumstance where people were not prepared to get out of the way of the pandemic. Uh, it, it, it slammed hard, um, you know, limit down day after limit down day. Um, and, and VIX, you know, crept, crept up steadily, you know, to a, a brand new closing record in the 80s. Um, uh, the, the relief package, the Fed actions, you know, we, it, it, it was reminiscent of the end of 2018 when we had the little fear that the Fed was gonna tighten and the market sold off hard. And, and then they came out and said, now nah, we're just kidding. And uh, the market turned right around and started marching higher again. And this was, you know, very reminiscent of, of that episode. Uh, hardcore sell-off. And then March 23rd, the, the market bottoms and turns around. And obviously there were, you know, hiccups along the way, but generally just started marching back to all-time highs. And, you know, people scratching their heads saying, there's no way. How can we go back to all-time highs? And, and that's expressing itself in the volatility space because, you know, as we have notched all-time highs, I'm looking at the market today, we're, you know, not quite there on the S&P, but, um, you know, the Russell's caught up. Um, 
A lot of single stocks have just blown through, you know, their previous all-time highs. And yet VIX and the VIX futures are sticky in the low to mid 20s. We've been above 20 since February 24th. I've lost track of the day count. I've got it someplace, uh, but it's the second longest stretch of VIX north of 20, uh, the, the prior one being in the 2008, 2009 timeframe. Um, so somebody out there is still a little nervous. And so there's still a bid for insurance in the volatility realm. I saw a chart yesterday that showed that I think it was an inverse VIX with the S&P 500. So basically what that means is that it, uh, it, it had, it basically they track each other reasonably closely, but it had started to diverge, which um, you might be able to interpret that. But the way that I interpret it was just that there's a lot more fear out there than perhaps the all time highs. We've seen many all time highs last late last year, and we may not have seen one yet this year, but we're close, very close to all time right. highs. So what does that typically mean for the market? Uh, well, what it's suggesting is that, you know, not everybody's buying into the all-time highs in the equity indices. Um, I, you know, it, it would be, again, that inverse correlation between the S&P 500 and the VIX um, tends to be quite high. And so with the S&P making new highs, kind of grinding higher, but VIX not making new lows, you know, which is what you would expect if that correlation is holding. And, you know, does that mean that the equity market is going to turn around and go down? It, what it means to me is pay attention. There's a divergence. Um, you know, there are lots of, you know, you, you can get the, uh, the technicians on you can look at divergences in a whole bunch of different indicators, you know, new, new highs, new lows, uh, market breadth, percent over 200 day moving average. Uh, if, if you want to find a divergence, there's one out there. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that the market's going to turn around and, and, and go lower. Uh, but what it means to me as somebody who pays attention to the volatility complex is, Okay, pay attention because there's a bid for the SPX options that make up the VIX calculation. Uh, somebody is buying enough of those things to keep the VIX in the low to mid 20s, where you might expect that by now it would have gone back below 20. Well, you, you sort of, uh, you, you were, you, you're a little bit in front of me. That's where I was going to go next. Do you think that, because I, I, I I'm aware that there's a lot of Robin Hood uh, <laughs> options speculation in the market, and I, you know, I've had, I've had the in-laws uh, back over Christmas and New Year's, and had an opportunity to discuss with people who aren't markets people, but who are now in Robin Hood punting options because you can get all of the leverage, and you know they they need those kind of high returns. <laughs> does that impact the? Does that impact the? Does that change the signal that you get from those things? I, I wish I could say that I have completely figured that out, uh, and, and I certainly haven't. Uh, and I do pay attention to, um, and, and, and 
try to talk reasonably regularly with people who are more sophisticated in the options landscape than I am and, and in the flows. Um, you know, Jem Carson is a rising star on Twitter because of his, you know, regular observations on what's going on with flows and, 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 and derivative activity. Uh, ben Eifert, uh, who you know, um, you know, there are a number of people who um, are, are closer to what's going on in that world than I can be. Um, and so I, I try to, you know, see what I see and then look to see how other people might be interpreting the same information. Um, you know, I, I have... I have my own little dashboard of, of uh, uh, indicators, signals. Uh, you know, sometimes they are just all green. <laughs> you know, there's there's just no question which side of the trade you should be on. Sometimes they're all red. There's no question which side of the trade you should be on. And a whole bunch of the time, it's a mixed bag of red, green, and yellow. And you're just like, okay. Uh, the probabilities are not as strong as you might like them to be. And, and oh, by the way, sometimes that means I've got no exposure. I've got no trade because I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, and to me, that's, uh, that, that can be an appropriate place to be. Yeah, you know, when when I was first learning about volatility with Chris, he pointed out that the late 1990s had a similar behavior when the, um, when the market got very... Uh, you know, very bullish when there was a lot of speculation, VIX sort of started running up uh, along with the market, which was unusual behavior because usually when the market's going up, volatility is pretty uh, compressed and vice versa. And that started something that I noticed happening again late last year, mid to late last year, that volatility has sort of, the speculation is upside speculation. It's creating upside volatility in the market. Is that has that behavior continued on? Is that something that you, um, you, you, you're seeing? Well, I think, you know, people forget that, um, you know, VIX as a measure of volatility doesn't care whether the volatility is on the upside or the downside, right? If the S&P is moving 3% a day up, <laughs> that's volatility. Um, and that will probably be expressed in the level of the VIX. Uh, it, you know, when the market's moving up, it tends to be moving up, you know, in small increments and fairly steadily, and therefore volatility tends to be, you know, relatively low. Um, but a market that's, you know, kind of rumbling higher uh, with a lot of activity and, and perhaps an increase in speculative activity uh, can certainly justify a, a higher level of VIX. And, and so, you know, you, you, sometimes you have to recognize that the market's going up and VIX is steady or going higher in part just because, you know, it's, it's reflecting the fact that the market's moving higher in steps that are bigger than they are typically. Jim, uh, fascinating conversation. We're coming up on time. If uh, folks want to get in contact with you or follow along with what you're doing, how do they go about doing that? 
Well, um, the easiest way is to follow me on Twitter at Fixologist. Um, I tend to be responsive to direct messages if people want to jump in there and ask me a question. Um, <laughs> I, I had somebody uh, suggest that I was cagey sometimes on Twitter. And I said, well, I'm an investment advisor. I can't give advice. <laughs> yeah. And I've tried to make that clear any number of times. So, you know, if, if some of my Twitter commentary is cagey, uh, it's, it's because I do have compliance people keeping an eye on what I'm doing and I want to stay on the right side of the law. We'll, uh, uh, we'll throw that up in the show notes, fixologist. Sorry, Jim, I cut you off there. No, no, that's, that's quite all right. And, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn for what that's worth. Uh, happy to connect with people there. Uh, but Twitter tends to be the uh, the center, the eye of the storm for FinTwit and VaultTwit and all things happening uh, in, in the space these days. Oh, that's great. Jim Carroll, uh, Vixologist at Toroso. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Toby. Great to be with you. My pleasure. <laughs>